Volume One, Chapter Three of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume One, Chapter Three. When the party met the next day, everybody had left off their mourning, and every face appeared cheerful but those of Willoughby and Celestina. The latter, when gaily rallied by the friends of Mr. Molyneux, endeavoured to recover her tranquillity, and as to Matilda herself, she gave away her hand with as much ease as if it was a matter of course. Molyneux received it with equal composure, and as soon as they were married, they sat out, accompanied only by Celestina and Mr. Hamilton, a near relation of the bridegroom, for a house which Mr. Molyneux rented in Hampshire. Willoughby saluted his sister, and as he handed her into the coach, he again wished her happiness. It was impossible to avoid doing the same as Celestina passed him, but he faltered, and could hardly articulate his compliment, which while he was yet tremendously attempting to express, holding one of her hands between his, Mr. Hamilton, who had been detained by giving some orders to his servant, came up, and taking her other hand, "'Come, come!' as you don't go with us willoughby the care of this lady devolves upon me and i shall not allow these sorrowful partings to make her as melancholy as you are yourself all her journey celestina was then unresistingly led away while willoughby who followed her to the coach door found at that moment his heart assailed by pangs it had never felt before, but which he knew too well to be jealousy in its most corrosive form. As the coach drove away he stood looking after it, now repenting that he had not accompanied his sister and her husband into Hampshire, then determining to order his horse and follow them, now detesting Hamilton of whom he had never thought before, and then resolving to conquer a passion which a thousand circumstances made it the height of folly to indulge. The coach which contained the object of it was already out of sight, but Willoughby still stood on the spot from whence it had been driven, so lost in the indulgence of these sensations that he forgot where he was and was roused from his reverie only by the arrival of a friend with whom he had made an appointment to go in his chaise part of the way to cambridge this friend he was ashamed to disappoint nor could he form any excuse to account for his suddenly changing his mind and following his sister, whom he had steadily declined to accompany under pretense of urgent engagements. While he yet debated, the chaise was ready, 
and with a heart torn with contending passions and a mind intent only on celestina and the advantage hamilton enjoyed of being so long with her as during the stay of molyneux in hampshire and in the tour they were afterwards to make he proceeded absent silent and miserable to the end of his journey celestina with equal oppression of spirits was yet more unfortunate because she was afraid of inquiring too narrowly into the source of her concern nor did she dare to indulge it but was compelled to assume cheerfulness very foreign to her feelings mr hamilton who had never taken much notice of her before now seemed disposed to amuse himself by coquetting with her but she had so little inclination to encourage him that as he was too perfectly a man of the world to give himself much trouble about any woman he soon left her to her own amusements in a few days after the bride and bridegroom arrived at their house it was filled with company and matilda wholly occupied with parties all the morning and play in the evening had never time to think of celestina who soon found herself neglected by the only person whom she could now call her friend and the disappointment which still sat so heavy on her heart the failure as she believed of willoughby's regard was now embittered by the coldness or rather carelessness which she experienced from her sister in a few weeks a party was made to visit plymouth and the western bathing-places celestina went with them as a matter of course but she felt herself dwindling fast into the humiliating character of a dependent companion and sometimes fancied that her place in the coach might have been occupied by another more to the satisfaction of her friend yet mrs molyneux was never rude to her and sometimes related with apparent kindness how her mother had adopted her from a convent and that therefore she ever should consider her as her sister celestina always felt herself more mortified than gratified by these relations and by degrees they became so irksome to her and the whole style of conversation among matilda's friends so little to her taste that she insensibly acquired an habit of absenting herself and of living very much alone either in her own room or in the walks which whatever the party fixed she contrived to find and whither the image of willoughby such as it had been at a very early period of her life impressed on her young heart incessantly accompanied her this was more particularly the case when in the course of their tour mr and mrs molyneux undertook to show their friends elvastone where willoughby had ordered everything to be prepared for their reception as if he had been himself there matilda revisited this beautiful place with no other emotions than those of gratified pride 
but on Celestina it had a very different effect. This was the scene where the happiest hours of her life had passed, the dressing-room where they all used to assemble when the only parent she had known was its mistress, brought her forcibly to the recollection of Celestina, the chair on which she used to sit, the furniture which she had worked herself, and the pictures she had collected, were so many memorials on which Celestina could not look without recollecting a thousand instances of her general goodness, or her particular tenderness, and feeling with bitter regret the irreparable loss she had sustained. The park and the gardens too furnished her with many sources of painful contemplation, mingled, however, with a degree of melancholy so soothing that nothing would have been to her so great a punishment as being obliged to exchange it for the desultory and uninteresting conversation which, in the little time spared from the card-table, engaged the party within the house. The party, however, troubled themselves very little with her, and she was left at liberty to retrace the walks which she had often so traversed with Willoughby, while Matilda leaned on one arm and she on the other, and to gaze on the prospects which he, while yet a boy, had pointed out to them with so much pleasure. She remembered all the proposed improvements of which he delighted to talk. A rapid stream bursting from the hollow of a rocky common that bounded the park, and made its way through it. It had been by the former Mr. Willoughby widened at a great expense, and now fell several feet into a vale which he had, at a still greater cost, floated with water. On the sides of this fall, which had been formerly part of the common, grew some old oaks and a beech, and among these the mountain ash and weeping birch had been planted, and now spread their various foliage and half-concealed the water that dashed from rock to rock between them. These steep banks had ever been the favorite seats of Willoughby, who was sitting there between his two sisters, and holding each of their hands, had very frequently amused himself with projects to increase the roar of the water or deepen the shape of the wood that fringed its side. This place was the daily resort of Celestina during the week she remained at Alvinstone, and thither she usually carried some of those books from the library that she remembered Willoughby had read to her. These were principally poetry, and the reprusal of them, the place, the season, a thousand tender remembrances enforced by each, served at once to soften and depress a heart naturally tender and affectionate, which, deprived of almost every other object of its regard, cherished with painful pleasure the idea of Willoughby, such as he once was, and when they passed here so many innocent enchanting hours. But when she imagined that in a few months he would probably revisit these scenes 
with another, with Miss Fitz Heyman, who would then be his wife, and that she herself should never again be admitted to wander among them with their beloved master, sick despondence took possession of her soul, and it was with difficulty after these reflections that she could reassume courage enough to mix with the friends whom Mr. and Mr. Molyneux had assembled, to listen to insipid pleasantry and attend to uninteresting conversation. But whatever regret Celestina felt in recollecting past hours of felicity which she knew could never return, she left Alvinston with extreme reluctance, and had it been proper or possible would most willingly have remained there alone. In quitting it never to return, she felt almost as much concern as she had done when in taking leave of Willoughby she fancied that she should see him no more till he was married to Miss Fitzhaman. Of that match Miss Molyneux now very frequently spoke as a matter entirely settled, and Celestina no longer doubted of its speedy completion. This circumstance, which gave her uneasiness that she was unable either to repress or entirely to disguise, the increasing indifference of Matilda towards her, and the constant succession of company in which Mr. and Mrs. Molyneux lived, united to raise in her a wish to quit them, and finding that the hints she gave of such a disposition were received with perfect carelessness, and that such a removal would probably not be objected to, she every day grew fonder of her project, and during their stay at Sidmouth fixed on a cottage about four miles from it, where she thought she might reside, if not happily at least in that quiet obscurity which her circumstances rendered prudent, and her distaste to the world in which she now lived pleasant. She found that she could there be accommodated with board and lodging, and there she would have remained if Mrs. Molyneux had not, when she understood her project, insisted on her returning to London with her after finishing their tour. Go with me, however, said she, the rest of our journey until we meet the Castle Norse, who are to be in town in October, and then if you have this rural passion still so strong upon you, you shall take your own way. Though there was little appearance of affection in this invitation, Celestina thought she ought not to decline it, and therefore, though meeting the castle nurse was what she most solicitously wished to avoid, she determined to go with her friend to town, that she might not give her any pretense for forgetting her entirely, or incur the censure of the world for leaving abruptly the only protection she could claim. End of Volume 1 Chapter 3 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.